Hey there, this is Erby of the German band Der Fall Böse and you are listening to Off Key, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the final episode of Off Key's first season. We've got a very special guest to close up the podcast's first chapter, as I'll be speaking to my boss and the founder and CEO of Membrane Canada, Dino Chalodi. From doing an undergrad in business at UVic to studying at Bocconi University in Milan, Dino now lives and works in Hamburg, Germany as the COO of Membrane Entertainment Group. We talked about what led him to a career in music, the role of distribution companies in the music industry, and some of the other activities that we have going on at Membrane Canada, since they are all blockchain related and fly pretty far over my head. Anyways, let's get right into our conversation. Thanks, Dino, for coming on. I guess how I've started everything, as you know, um, has just kind of been asking like where you grew up and kind of how you first got into music and that kind of sure. stuff. Sure. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's kind of uh, exciting to be on the, on the podcast myself here. Mm-hmm. Um, so where did I grow up? Well, I have a bit of a mixed background. So my parents are both Italian, but I was born in South Africa where I grew up in Cape Town. Okay, cool. I moved to Victoria, or sorry, Vancouver uh, when I was 16. Uh, finished up high school there and then came to Victoria to do my undergrad at UVic. And then uh, worked in Vancouver for a while, worked between Vancouver and Montreal, and then went to do my master's in Italy and then moved to Germany. So now I'm living in Germany, working there. What were you like doing for work after you graduated in Vancouver and Montreal? Yeah, so after I graduated from Vic, I uh, went to work at a company called Trilogy Properties, uh, which was a real estate development company uh, who also is uh, an owner of the Opus Hotel in Vancouver. So I started off there as a um, kind of assistant development manager uh, helping um, with property development. And then they bought a hotel in Montreal And so I moved over there uh, to help them with a, or to take on the project of uh, renovating some of the rooms and building out uh, the restaurant, uh, which was a big kind of uh, luxury um, supper club. So it was called Coco. And um, yeah, big restaurant, about 350 person capacity inside and another 300 people on the patio outside. Yeah, that was super fun. And then after we finished building that, then I actually moved over from the property development company to the hotel company and uh, worked as the uh, food and beverage director for both Vancouver and Montreal. So I was flying back and forth between Vancouver and Montreal. And yeah, then a couple years later, they sold the hotel in Montreal. So I moved back to Vancouver, moved back to the real estate company and went into their real estate uh, management arm. And so I was doing uh, real estate management uh, with them uh, over at SFU. That was one of our biggest clients uh, was University at SFU. So we were managing all the commercial property there. And then I decided I wanted to do my MBA. So that's when I moved to Italy to do my MBA at uh, Bocconi. Cool. Fun school. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Were you kind of from, like now you're working in music, obviously, but were you like, did you have like a musical upbringing were you from a musical family or was it like kind of something that you just like happened separately I guess yeah no so um I I did to some extent so my my dad uh and his two brothers were in a band together when they were little before I existed um and uh were always musically inclined so uh I grew up with a lot of music around me um I did drum lessons when I was small but honestly, never really got into it uh, as uh, as a uh, performer or anything like that myself. Um, and then when I was at UVic, I actually uh, met a few guys uh, originally uh, when we were living in, in residence together. And then um, we all moved into a house together. So there was uh, four of them and me and myself living together, and they were all in a band. 
And so I kind of became the de facto manager to some extent because I was the one doing a BCom degree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was basically providing the uh, location for them to practice. So they set up a room in the house that we were um, that we were in to practice, and we would do gigs on the on the back lawn. Um, and uh, I helped them uh, find gigs around town and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, but then after graduation, they uh, the band broke up. I moved to Vancouver, oh, no. so that kind of never went anywhere. But it was super fun. Uh, obviously, while we were in in university, it was a lot of fun to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. What was so you did your BCom at UVic? Um, what like did you specialize in there? Uh, entrepreneurship. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's too bad they broke up. Yeah. <laughs> so for anyone, I'm sure like most people, even though. Membran is the business behind the podcast. Um, what kind of is Membran Entertainment Group? And I guess segueing into that, like I haven't really explained it much here aside from like the little blurb that I do at the end of the podcast, but like what is, I guess, Membran Canada and kind of how did that happen? Does that all link together? <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. So um, Membran Entertainment Group uh, is a German company based in Hamburg. The, and Membrane itself was founded in the late 60s, originally as a music uh, vinyl record sh- uh, shop and evolved over time to also become a, a physical distribution company. And then uh, Manlio Celati, the now owner, and my uncle took over the company. Um, oh, I should get this right, but about 10 years ago. And then uh, he was more interested in new music, which the company was more focused on um, kind of public domain and older music originally. And then he took it, uh, kind of pivoted it, if you want to say it that way, into more frontline music and focused on new releases and focusing on existing current labels and current artists because he wanted to uh, promote artists, essentially and brought on a team to do what we call label services, which at the time didn't really exist. So he was kind of one of the pioneers of that side of the industry, which is essentially as a distributor um, on one side, but then also providing services that a label would usually do for an artist, but without actually signing over the rights of the artist. So, um, So the artist maintains their musical rights and their masters, but we provide some of the services that a, a major label would then provide, like distribution, like marketing and promotion, manufacturing, design, mastering, things like that uh, for their music. So that uh, we could, and this wasn't only directly to artists, but we also did that for labels. So smaller indie labels could then get support from us to do some of the services that they don't have in-house. And they kind of then had a one-stop shop at Membrane to fill in those gaps. And then later on, the other thing that we did was get into um, more working with international labels. So labels, uh, for example, we um, we launched Membran USA, where the focus was to work with uh, U.S. labels and introduce their music to Europe. And obviously they could First of all, they had a difficult time getting their music there, but what we provided for them was, again, tried to always provide a one-stop shop for them to say, okay, we have a deal with Membran, and Membran then had deals and a network of distribution partners throughout Europe so that they could come to us from the U.S. and just say, okay, Membran, deal with everything uh, that uh, all of my distribution in, in Europe, and that's what we did. And then we could also give them access to... Uh, PR or radio pluggers and other service providers in Europe, which they didn't necessarily have the network uh, to connect to, even if they were strong in the U.S. Okay, cool. Um, And then being based out of Hamburg, do you guys only focus then on European distribution or German distribution, or do you kind of, of music, I guess, or is it kind of everywhere? Yeah, it's so it's everywhere um, is the short answer. Uh, the long answer is it depends what the label needs. So um, we try to be as flexible as possible. So if a, a label from the U.S., for example, comes to us, it's not uncommon for them to already have a solution for distribution mm-hmm. in the U.S. or North America. And so we will provide the solution for them in rest of world or just uh, continental Europe and the U.K., whatever they, whatever they need, really. Um, of course, Given that we've been around since the 60s in Europe, that's our uh, biggest strength there. 
Um, but now with our partnership with The Orchard, which is a digital distribution company and now the largest digital distribution company in the world, we then have a global footprint. So between the two companies, Orchard has, I believe it's now at about 30 offices worldwide. And so they really have a footprint locally in every market. And then between us and them, we provide both physical and digital distribution. We can do digital marketing and advertising campaigns. Uh, on the membrane side, we can link them to their PR and radio worldwide. So um, that's now, uh, as of a few years ago, we're able to um, provide a really global solution for artists uh, that don't necessarily have a label or with labels that don't necessarily have all of their, uh, their own in-house capabilities uh, on a worldwide basis. So a music distributor, kind of what does that mean? And right. What do you... <laughs> sure. Yeah. What, what is that? Yeah. So, I mean, at the most basic level, it just means getting music into the shops, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And on the physical side, that means literally getting the vinyl records or the CDs into a retail store, things like HMV or other uh, record stores around the world. Um, On the digital side, that means the same thing, getting the music into the shops, which today is Spotify and Apple Music uh, and Deezer and Amazon Music and so on and so forth. Um, That's at the most basic, basic level. And then um, we sometimes differentiate in our wording between an aggregator and a distributor. So an aggregator is really just a listing service. So they will make sure that your music is available whether it's through platforms, so this is more for digital, is on the platforms, whereas a distributor really has more of a um, closer relationship with the artist or the label, where they're making the music available on the platforms, but then they're also working with the labels and the artists to get information about what they're doing. Are they touring in a specific territory? Um, Are they doing PR and marketing efforts in that territory that we can then communicate to the uh, Apple Musics and the Spotify's of the world and make sure that they're aware of it so that they can then also potentially put that music into playlists and things like that because they want to help promote music that is also promoting itself, so to speak, um, on the digital side. Um, On the physical side, similar kind of thing. A distributor's job there is to make sure that the music gets into the stores and also work with retailers to put together uh, campaigns in, in the stores or in that market to promote the sale of the, the records and the CDs in, in the market. Okay, cool. Um, does Membrane also manufacture or is it just you're like you're just... Yeah. Sort of like, uh, yes, so we also have a manufacturing arm of Membrane where we work again with labels and artists to uh, to do their manufacturing and that can be sometimes they just have the digital audio files ready to go and we help them with the artwork uh, we prepare we help them prepare the artwork for the different formats depending on what kind of manufacturing they're doing if they want a cd whether it's a digipack or a jewel case or they want a large booklet inside the cd or some kind of insert for the vinyl or different uh, if it's a single vinyl or a double vinyl um, packaging so we can help them sort out what the options are um, we can get them pricing. We can also help them ma- remaster the music. So sometimes you'll or you always need to remaster it for the format. So if they've already got the digital file, we'll make sure it works properly for vinyl or for CD or whatever the case is. Um, and so we can help them remaster that, and then we can do the manufacturing as well. How like big is mem- like how many people generally work at like the office in Hamburg? Because it sounds like there's a lot of different you know, like sectors and activities that are going on? Um, Is it really kind of split up into different divisions or is it a lot of people working kind of like across or like both, I guess? Um, Yeah, it's split up. So uh, right now I believe we're at about 40 to 50 people Mm -hmm. uh, in the office in Hamburg. And then we've also got people in the UK and Italy, US and Canada, obviously, um, who do more specific localized work. But the majority of our work happens in Hamburg, and uh, that's where the the large proportion of the team is. And that is split between, obviously, people in manufacturing. So uh, we don't have our own plant, um, so we don't have the actual manufacturing facilities ourselves. But we will um, do all of the coordination work to make sure that the information is right for the artist uh, and for what the manufacturing facility needs in order to get it right. 
and often so that's part of what we do is the manufacturing side and then we also do then the so if we start with manufacturing and then we have a graphics department and a sound engineers on on the team who will help with uh, again mastering or getting the, the artwork right then we have our distribution team on the incoming music side so what we call label managers and the label managers work with the labels to make sure that they have all the necessary information to put the music out there so that's everything from the digital files for uh, for when we're distributing it digitally or if we're uh, doing the manufacturing uh, having the physical product ready whether we're manufacturing it or whether the label is supplying it making sure we have the metadata that we have to supply to the stores in order for them to distribute the music. We need artwork, we need all the selling, um, the pitch um, drivers that we call drivers. So things like what's special about this album, what's special about the band, why is it a focus in a particular territory, anything that we can use to do a better job selling that product in a, any given territory. And then on the sales side, we have a sales team that works with the retailers and other distribution partners that we have uh, around the world. And their job is then to communicate those sales features to those retailers uh, or distribution partners. And also to make sure that if it's physically distributed, that those partners have the physical product in time to make it to the street date that we're targeting. Who now, I guess, are kind of like the main physical like retail spaces you know because like before i mean in like north america at least it was like hmv and like blockbuster to a degree and things like that kind of who's like selling like physical copies now right so it depends uh, on the territory um i believe in canada it's uh, sunrise music uh, now that actually came in and, and saved a lot of labels um, because when HMV went bankrupt, Sunrise came in and, and took over some of those stores and actually took over the product that um, there was a risk that all of that would get liquidated and so the labels and the artists would, wouldn't get all of their money for it. Uh, and so that was uh, a good saving, a saving grace from Sunrise there. And then depending i mean even places like walmart in the u.s sells vinyl uh, we have best buy i believe still sells a little bit of vinyl uh, in north america in germany for example it's a company called uh, media saturn which has two arms similar to how previously there was best buy and future shop in canada uh, it's but it's all owned by the same company same thing in germany they're one of the biggest chain retailers and then there's many 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 smaller indie retailers that often focus on specific niche genres perhaps um, or you know yeah but it depends every territory there's no real global player anymore it used to be HMV was kind of the biggest global player but that's not the case anymore so it depends on the territory and a lot of artists I guess they probably retail directly through them as well or not so much are they mostly going through like stores and stuff it, it depends on the artist so yes uh, there is the case where smaller art or all artists do sell directly to their fans but I wouldn't say especially as an artist gets a little bit bigger that's not their main source of income uh, so uh, definitely smaller artists do sell at when you know when they're doing their own gigs or through online platforms or things like that they do sell their own product directly to their fans but after a while, that's not really the biggest source of income anymore. And especially when they're working in other territories. So if an artist, a Canadian artist, for example, is starting to expand their career into Europe, they'll come to us and we can make sure that their music is in the store so that when they do a tour in Europe, that music is available to fans that go uh, to the gig, but maybe don't necessarily buy it at the actual uh, gig itself. Okay, and that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, like, what's, like, your role at Member Brown? Kind of what does that, what what do you do, I guess? Like, what's a day in the life like? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so it really depends. So my official title is COO or uh, Chief Operating Officer. So I'm more on the operations side. Uh, the way I kind of explain it sometimes is that uh, my boss, the CEO, his job is to look outwards, uh, out from the company, to look at bigger picture. What is uh, the strategy? What do we? Um, how can we make the big deals happen so that we can continue to grow? And my job is to look inwards to make sure that everything is functioning properly inside of the company, uh, so that we're 
delivering the services that we promised to our artists and to our labels that that is working um, and is working efficiently for the company and for those uh, for those artists. That's the high level view of what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. So you said that your uncle, when he took over the company, kind of wanted to move it more to like, I guess, like you could say like a quote unquote, more like modern system of sure. like distribution um, that is more digital and like focused on current artists rather than previous works, I guess. How has that? Yeah, like from a distributor side, like obviously music has moved pretty extremely from physical to digital, but you're still doing physical distribution. So it's obviously still reasonably important in the industry. How kind of has that all changed, Yeah, I guess? Even sure. like in terms of just like how the company like functions and makes money, mm -hmm. I guess. Because it's pretty clear, like obviously if you're like selling a CD, it's just like everyone gets a cut. It's a physical thing. That's that. Right. Um, right. But with like streaming and stuff, kind of how does that all work? Yeah. So it actually doesn't work that differently from a business model perspective. But yeah, so the, the idea just to kind of split these two questions up is on um, the one side, when my uncle came in and took over, it wasn't necessarily just to move into digital, but really to focus on what kind of music we were representing. Okay. Uh, so Membrane originally was representing very old music, so public domain music, so music that's old enough that doesn't have uh, rights associated to it anymore that can just be copied and reproduced without paying anybody because there's nobody that owns those rights. Okay. Um, so you were like making or... Yeah, I mean, if you think <laughs> about things like Elvis Presley yeah. or Chet Baker or classical music, for mm -hmm. example, um, pretty much any music that is, depends on the country, so don't hold me to this because it depends on the different uh, legal situations in each country, but around 65 years old, then the, uh, the master rights are no longer, um, the copyrights don't uh, exist. So then there's no more uh, royalty that needs to be paid on, on those. Again, this is different in different countries, so it depends uh, in North America or in, in the U.S. Those rights uh, take longer, so they exist uh, for a longer period than in other countries. So where you can sell, uh, sell that music depends. But anyway, the point being that we wanted to move away from that model and wanted to really focus on creators. And uh, so going away from not paying for master rights to actually focusing on paying uh, new uh, music creators for what they're creating and bringing new music uh, into the world. So that was really the big pivot that we did when uh, Manlio took over the company. And then what that meant for us was really having a team that works with the artists and labels. So that was the big change at that point uh, in our strategy was before we, the, or not we, the company didn't have to look at that um, as an aspect uh, of producing new product because it was literally just that. It was just product, like, let's find something that sells but doesn't have any rights, which kind of sucks, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so then um, what we did was focus on, on the artists themselves and bring in uh, a new arm of the company, which is the label management side, which works with those artists and labels to, yeah, to, to essentially sell uh, and promote their music. And then... Going to your other question about how that's changed with digitalization, effectively, um, on one side, the physical music, yes, it's definitely, we can see across the world, physical music is um, shrinking a lot, but it is still important. So in a lot of markets like Germany, like Japan, uh, even the UK as well, um, a lot of parts of Europe, physical music is still quite big. I think it was only this year or in 2018 that physical music dropped below 50% of market share oh, in Germany. So it it's still a big part of the market. So we don't we don't want to forget about it. And it has taken a different kind of role in the consumers uh, world. So we're seeing uh, obviously vinyl, we're actually seeing grow uh, in terms of market share, it's still very, very small, but it is growing. And it's kind of instead of um, it's taking on a different role as well. So instead of people using it for the music, a lot of people are starting to treat vinyl as merchandise. So instead of buying a t-shirt or a poster, they're buying the vinyl record. And uh, it is the case that a lot of people don't even open the vinyl record because it's really a memento that they keep in good, you know, good condition. They don't want to use it, um, but it's a way for them to support the band and for them to have something as memorabilia from the show that they went to or a band that they, they really like. 
and then they listen to the music on a digital platform uh, like Apple Music or Spotify. But from a business model perspective, it looks very similar. Uh, we try to get that music out into the stores. We try to uh, pitch it and promote it as much as possible so that it gets as much streaming or downloads or physical sales as possible. And uh, we uh, keep a percentage of those sales and we pay the rest to whoever uh, is our partner. So whether it's a label or an artist directly. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and for digital distribution, this might be kind of like a weird question, but like how do you get music onto a streaming platform? Do you know what I mean? Like it seems like very, because obviously like uploading to like SoundCloud or like YouTube, like you just do that, like it's there. Is it right. similar to that? Is that like an accessible? I, I guess like... technically it's similar to that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so um, the big platforms like Spotify and Apple Music and Deezer and so on and so forth, um, they generally, you as an artist, can't upload your music directly to those platforms. Mm -hmm. So what a distributor or an aggregator does is, A, they provide the service of putting that music, on, uploading that music to all of the platforms simultaneously, as opposed to you having to, even if you could, having to go to each one individually. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the one part. Um, and they then, as uh, aggregators or distributors, they have a license or a, a deal or an agreement with those platforms to be allowed to upload um, that music directly. Okay. Um, so, so that's how that works. And then, uh, as I said before, the difference the way we differentiate it is that a distributor really acts a lot more closely and personally with the artists or with the labels to make sure that the music is properly promoted on those platforms as opposed to just clicking a button and making sure the music is there. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. So I guess to kind of like change directions a little bit, could you talk a little bit about like Membran Canada and how you know, like you were saying, like Membran has Canada, UK, US, um, and like Italy and stuff. But like we're, as far as I know, the only branch or like arm that's kind of doing like working with experimental tech. Kind of like how right. did that get started? Yeah. And like why? So I, I guess uh, I would uh, claim the responsibility for that a little yeah. bit myself. So really the original kind of idea for Membrane Canada came from the fact that I was living in Germany and I was working uh, in this company that distributed a lot of music and was growing in the arm of the uh, business that was bringing in music from North America. But it was really heavily, pretty much entirely United States music. And being now Canadian myself, I wanted to bring in more Canadian music. And um, and so I spoke with Manlio about it, and we agreed to start Membrane Canada. And there were kind of two, I guess, pillars to what I wanted to do with Membrane Canada. On one side, I wanted to speak with local artists and labels in Canada and have them represented by Membrane and bring their music and help them promote their music um, either in Canada or also to Europe as well which was originally the main focus with a lot of the labels I was speaking with is that they had a good setup in Canada, but they needed something for to expand that music and, and to pitch it outside of Canada. And so that's what we were bringing to the table. And then uh, on the other side, I wanted us to start looking at experimental tech and trying to stay ahead of the curve and looking at, okay, what technologies are coming out uh, or being talked about that are interesting and could be interesting for the music industry. And I felt that if we did that from within Membrane's Hamburg headquarters, those people that were working on that would get kind of sucked into the day-to-day -day operations. And I wanted a way to make sure that we could have a dedicated team working and focusing on essentially R&D. Uh, so research and development of, of these new products and seeing, okay, how do they fit into the music industry? And we had talked about a few things like AR and VR and, um, and blockchain and a few other things. And we eventually came together um, onto, okay, let's focus on just one because we didn't have a lot of resources that we could dedicate to it. So let's focus on one technology, which sounded really interesting. This was at the end of 2016, which was blockchain at that time. And so that's what we did. So with Membrane Canada, it essentially has those two pillars. One is the distribution side. So essentially bringing our 
standard business model to uh, making it available to Canadian artists and labels. And then on the other side, the other pillar doing research and development in blockchain technologies and seeing, okay, how did these fit into the music industry? Can they, can it potentially bring some value to the music industry in the future? When you were doing like the initial R&D for what we were going to, I guess, like experiment with here, was this like a team of developers that were just like, we're just going to like research and build things? Or was it kind of more like, did it start, I guess? makes the most sense for this question does it start kind of with the music side and like you guys being like okay like what are the problems that we have like kind of yeah I guess like how did you kind of because there are like three kind of projects that we focus on Mm -hmm. and I guess what I'm wondering is how those kind of started how they happen yeah Yeah. sure so the answer is a little bit unclear it was you know because it's such a new and experimental um or nascent technology, um, we didn't know uh, how it would fit into the music industry. So we really just started off by doing our own reading and research and thinking about, okay, what is this thing called blockchain? And uh, then said, okay, well, it sounds like maybe it could do this or do that. And yeah, then we just had some developers who we said, okay, this is what we think uh, it could do let's build, uh, let's work on building a test case and trying it out. So the first project was what we call Treble Key, which was focused on live concerts. And really the problem that we were looking to solve there is things like fraud. Um, so people buying tickets and then today a lot of tickets are just a PDF. And so I can send that PDF to five people and I, they think they've got the one ticket and their ticket is real, but actually five other people also have that ticket and you don't know that it's been resold to to multiple people or it's just a fake ticket entirely. Um, So trying to solve the the fraud or um, the double sale of of tickets. And then also looking at a big problem in the ticketing industry is um, what we call bots. So essentially um, a computer program that's written to buy up tickets as soon as a concert goes on sale, buys up a large quantity of the tickets and then immediately puts them for sale on other platforms like, um, I don't know, Viagogo and uh, eBay and mm-hmm. whatever else it is. Maybe. Yeah. And that's a real problem because a lot of the time, you know, the real fans can't get the tickets because the, the concert is sold out and they can only find them on these secondary platforms where they're significantly marked up. So, you know, it's not uncommon to see tickets being sold for two, three, four, five times the original price. And so we wanted to see, can we try and alleviate that problem? And that's what we did was we built a kind of proof of concept, which allows a concert venue or a per- anybody that wants to put on a party to create that event in the platform, set up their tickets so they can set up general admission or VIP tickets or whatever they want to call it have different prices for those tickets, but then also create rules for those tickets. So for example, say, okay, nobody can buy more than one ticket or nobody can transfer these tickets to anybody else um, at all or within a certain time period. So maybe you say, okay, well, we wanna be fair to people that do actually get sick or there's an emergency that they can't make it to the concert, they should be able to resell their ticket. Um, But usually that kind of thing happens right before. So you don't know that you're going to be sick six months before the event. So there's no good reason to allow people to resell that ticket six months before. So let's just create it so that they can transfer the ticket, but only within two weeks of the event. So essentially building digital rules into the ticket themselves, uh, ticket itself, uh, as well as markup values. And then on top of that, what's interesting with blockchain is because of the way we built it is that each of those tickets is a unique digital item, so to speak. So that means that if I sell you the ticket, you can actually prove outside of the platform. So you don't even have to trust our platform, but you can see outside of the platform, you can prove that you actually received that, that you now control that ticket. And you can see that it's the only one uh, and you can see where it originally came from. So you can prove that, oh yeah, this is a real ticket that was issued by the real promoter of the event and it is the only one nobody else has my ticket with like you're saying like tickets kind of as they exist now are either like paper or like pdf kind of like what is like does the ticket become like from my understanding of blockchain would like the ticket almost like have a ledger then and then that would be 
Right. So what um, happens? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, essentially, so first of all, uh, for those people that uh, know a little bit about blockchain, we're using uh, the Ethereum blockchain, and uh, we use something called uh, that's called smart contracts. So essentially, what we've done is um, created each ticket is like a token. It's a digital uh, token that can be represented by a, a barcode or a QR code. And um, and that's how it, it, it exists, is just a long string of letters and numbers, essentially. But that can be represented as a barcode, which they can then use uh, in an app. And that app, uh, then the idea is also that you can only really open your ticket at the time of the, at the, time of the event. And so you can't um, just open that barcode and then take screenshots of it and send that screenshot to somebody else because the barcode will change uh, over time, so it, it actually can only be correctly validated at the door of the event. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I was like, well, <laughs> can we... yeah. yeah, no. Okay, cool. Kind of to get back out into big picture again, kind of more generally, like, do you, if someone was interested in kind of working in distribution or in music, would you kind of have any advice, like, for someone interested in that kind of career path? Like, did you personally, for example, find attending like post-secondary really helpful like was that like integral or do you think that you could or like someone could enter in a similar position maybe maybe not like position of like coo necessarily but like you know what i mean kind of yeah in the industry i guess yeah how would you get how do you start getting involved (laughs) sure yeah so i don't to be honest no i don't think that a post-secondary degree is necessary for the industry um it, of course, it depends what you want to get into. Obviously, if you're getting into more the sales business side, it helps to have some of that um, knowledge and the things that you learn in post-secondary. But then uh, also on the product side or the label management side, yes, it definitely could help to have some experience in marketing uh, or at least have a little bit of that mindset. But that can come either from prior experience uh, or you can come in, um, in ex- you know, inexperienced essentially and, and learn by doing. Um, but of course, it doesn't hurt to have um, marketing, some marketing experience, whether in school or um, in a, a job position itself. How do you get into it? Well, I guess it depends what you want to be doing. So uh, as I said, there's different arms even to our company and those people each have different skill sets probably the most the largest portions of the company are the label management side and then the sales side so uh, sales in essence is very similar to other sales roles um, or marketing roles where you're speaking to customers and pitching them on new products and why they should buy your product uh, or in our case, why they should take our product and put it in their stores. And in this case, obviously product is music, and so we're pitching them on the special things about the product, why the music's good, why it's special, why they should pay attention, and that could be anything about the quality of the music to uh, press coverage that this artist or this album has received in the past. It could be about the artist touring in that particular territory or in that city or country. And that's why this retail store should pay attention and should have it. Or if the artist is just a really big artist, then they should pay attention because they will want to sell our product and their customers that are going into the store or going to Spotify will want to find this album. And so they should make it available um, in the stores, whether it's physical, or they should promote it through playlisting uh, uh, and featuring the music in uh, in the digital store, uh, such as Spotify and Apple Music. Um, so that's the sales side. And uh, really, it's, as I said, it's basically a sales role, but with somebody, uh, ideally, that has a passion for music, that likes to talk about <laughs> music, especially when you're talking to the retail stores. They, you know, they're curators. Uh, and when I say retail stores, it could be digital or physical. Um, so when you're talking to the, uh, what we call DSPs or digital service providers, that's the Apple Musics and, and Spotify's, you want to be able to talk about the music as well. It's not just, hey, buy this product. Um, they are also passionate about music, and so you need to be able to communicate with them. And then on the label management side, it's a similar uh, concept, but you're thinking more about, obviously there you're dealing with either the label or the artist, so that's a lot closer to the music. So you you have to have some level of uh, people skills to be able to talk with them about 
why something is good or not good or why you know what they need to do to improve not necessarily the music we're not producing music with them but we're talking about how they can better market their music so uh, also giving them insights into what could they do better on the uh, social media side or perhaps hey you know we're going to have a hard time with this in territory x because you're not touring there um, and you don't have any press coverage there so what can we do what do you have that we can leverage in this territory maybe you're touring nearby maybe you have other press coverage or maybe we want to do a campaign maybe we want want to spend some money to do whether it's it could be something small like a digital marketing campaign or a digital advertising campaign or it could be on a bigger scale where we hire uh, publicists to actually go out and solicit press coverage for your new album that's coming out or for your tour um, or it's hiring a radio plugger that actually goes to the radio stations and pitches the music to radio stations to try and convince them to play it on the radio um, so in that case you need to know that and uh, we have a, a lot of um, essentially students that come in and and learn uh, while they're students and then they move into full-time roles so how to get in, I don't really know um, what the, the short answer is for how to get in, but I think um, having a, a passion for music, if you're really just starting out, then being able to talk about music and, yeah, just being interested in the industry and in, uh, interested in working on that. It can be long hours, especially when we're working with a lot of North American labels and acts, um, and we're nine hours ahead in Germany, so you have to be able to, you know, work late evenings and sometimes nights because a, a label or an artist in LA or in Vancouver, they, they want answers when they want answers. And uh, we're, you know, our job is to uh, provide that service to them. So we need to be available to them uh, when they need it. Do you have any, you like touched on this a little bit, but any kind of like advice or suggestions for maybe not necessarily labels, but like maybe independent artists that are like looking to work with a distribution company that's not, you know, just like something that they do themselves or sure. kind of take the next yeah. step, I guess. Yeah. And like how to make that relationship, what like can they do, I guess, to make that relationship successful and like thrive the best? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, and, and you and I were having a similar related conversation yesterday um, where we were talking about the, you know, again, that difference between what we do and what an aggregator does. So, so in essence, a an artist that's starting out, uh, realistically, it makes sense if they have music, they want to put it out. It probably doesn't make sense for them right off the bat to come to a distributor like ourselves, because if they don't have an audience and they're not really touring and they've just you know purely have music that they've written themselves in their in their bedroom, it's going to be hard um, for us to provide additional value for them right off the bat. Where that changes is if we can see that this artist is really dedicated to their craft and they're working hard to go out, get in front of their audience, they're actively creating new music and, um, and touring, or even if they can't tour yet, maybe they're just doing a lot of small live shows. It doesn't have to be major shows, but that we can see that they're actively working as well that helps us because we can, again, it's all about the leverage that we have when we're pitching the music. And so the more we have to work with, the more value we can add and create for those artists. So that's pretty much what it comes down to is can we see that this uh, the music is good? Obviously, that's kind of a baseline. The music has to be good. And if the music's good, can we see that this artist is really dedicated to their music and dedicating uh, dedicated to making it a success? And that comes down to how are they promoting it? Are they actively talking about their music, telling their fans about the music, building their fan base, whether that's on social media, whether that's in uh, in person uh, doing small live shows. It doesn't matter. Everybody has to start somewhere. So it's not about how big the show is, but it's that they're actually actively out there um, doing it and promoting their own music as well. Who are some of the artists that Memron works with? Oh, man. So there's lots. I mean, I think we've got um, over a, a thousand artists uh, in the roster. And it really ranges. So uh, probably the biggest name artist that uh, Membran works with uh, would be Anderson Pack. We do uh, their distribution in, uh, in Europe or uh, pretty much everywhere ex uh, excluding North America. We also did uh, the PR campaign for uh, Anderson in um, throughout Europe, so mainly Germany, France, England, and so on and so forth. So we did a lot of work with him. 
we've got uh, Jacob Collier is a big uh, jazz musician. He's, uh, I wish I knew his age off the top of my head, but he's a very young guy, super, super talented, uh, works with Quincy Jones Productions, um, and that's how we uh, came to know him. And we actually, in this case, we licensed his music, so uh, we act as a label, and so we have a period of time where we um, manage that music worldwide. And he's just an amazingly talented young man. And um, yeah, that's that's been a great, uh, really fun project to work on. Um, Gregory Porter is another uh, bigger name artist. And then we work with a lot of other artists. Uh, so if I think about Membrane Canada uh, a little bit more in the Canadian artists we work with, is anywhere from we work with 604 records and uh, distribute mariana's trench and dirty radio we also work with tonic records in vancouver and um, there they have buckman co and harpoonist and the axe murderer we work with baseline music out of toronto and uh, that's with sarah mcdougall and hermitage green um, we also work with Pipe and Hat, who um, has uh, Sadie and Eflo and John Cohen Experiment and Fauzia. So a number of artists there. And then we've got a few um, artists that we work with directly, like Jasper Sloan Yip in Vancouver and Blonde Diamond also from Vancouver. And yeah, and Afterlife Music, also a label out of Vancouver. So... Yeah, on the Membrane Canada side, a uh, number of local, uh, mainly based out of Vancouver, but we also work with labels from Toronto and Manitoba and so on. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I guess lastly, where can people, I guess, find Membrane Group? And also for artists, like if they want to get in touch, kind of how do they do that? Sure. So Membrane Group itself, pretty much the easiest way is through our website, which is membrane.net. And you can contact us there. You can also contact us at Membrane Canada, uh, where we're online, I believe, everywhere as Membrane Labs. Yeah, uh, or just uh, head to our website, which is membranelabs.com, or on the music side is membrane.net. And that's the best way uh, to get in touch with us or find more information about us. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on from the back end of the <laughs> podcast, I guess, in production to, yeah being on the f- well i mean there's not really a front because it's <laughs> audio but yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely thank you for having me it's definitely interesting being on the other side of the mic so yeah uh, yeah thanks very much that brings us to the end of off keys first season Thanks so much for listening, and thanks again, Dino, for stepping out from behind the scenes to come on as a guest for the podcast. There's a link in the description for this episode's show notes, so make sure you check those out for more info. If you enjoyed this episode and the rest of the first season of Off Key, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. They really do help. If you have any topics that you'd like me to bring up with one of our next guests, please either email me at offkey at membrane.net or send me a message at either Membrane Labs or Lindsay Arnold on Instagram. Offkey and Fault Tolerant, our sibling podcast on tech and blockchain, are both produced by Membrane Entertainment Canada, aka Membrane Labs, a music services company that provides distribution services for the export of Canadian music. We're also exploring blockchain technology to create a more transparent and secure ecosystem for music rights owners to get paid. And if you're interested in recording your own podcast at Membrane Labs, you can find out more info on our website, www.membranelabs.com. Offkey will be back with a second season on Monday, May 27th, so make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss it. I believe that's it for now, and the song I'll be playing you out with this week is Matilda by Der Falbuza. I'm so sorry to anyone that speaks German because that was probably horrible, and I probably have three tabs open right now with pronunciation guides. Anyways, which is actually the band of Torben Wittermann who works for Membrane Entertainment Group over in Germany and is the man behind our intro music. Thank you so much, and we'll see you again on May 27th. Du hast geahnt, dass irgendwann die Zeit kommt. 
Lass sie ruhen, lass sie ruhen in deinen Pappkartons. Du hast geträumt von einem Schloss am Meer. Ich wäre bestimmt ein guter König, wenn die ganze Welt betrunken wäre. Weißt du noch, weißt du noch, du wolltest kein Happy End? Baby, kannst du dich erinnern, als die Wunden verheilt sind? Hast du geweint? Oh, oh. oh Mathilda, reiß die Fenster auf und stell die Boxen auf den Dächern auf. Oh, oh. oh Mathilda, das ist unser Haus und wenn du bleibst, bleib ich auch. Oh, oh. Vorn, wo das Wasser nicht so tief ist Und die Wellen nur brechen, wenn du es willst Du hast dich abgeschafft, einfach raussortiert Wenn du zu müde bist, bring ich dich nach oben Und warte, bis du schläfst Weißt du noch, weißt du noch, du wolltest kein Happy End? Baby, kannst du dich erinnern, als die Wunden verheilt sind? Hast du geweint? Oh, oh. oh Mathilda, reiß die Fenster auf und stell die Boxen auf den Dächern auf. Oh, oh. oh Mathilda, das ist unser Haus und wenn du bleibst, bleib ich auch. Matilda, reiß die Fenster auf und stell die Boxen auf den Dächern auf. Oh oh, oh Matilda, 